Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Well, Visa, how are you doing hey. today? I'm good. I'm good. It's a pleasant evening. Excellent. Well, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I, I really appreciate it. Um, no could you give us a brief bio and some of the, the big things you're interested in? Bio and things that I'm interested in. Well, it's okay. My name is Visa. I'm in Singapore. I'm 31 years old. Uh, what am I interested in? A lot of things. I, I think right now I'm passionate about figuring out how to get a lot of people involved in participating in community spaces and, and you know, shared narrative building and um, just trying to organize groups of people to do interesting things together. I think that's my dominant um, curiosity. And then there's all kinds of things that kind of intersect with that. Like, how do you be, you know, how do you find people? How do you communicate with them? How do you find common ground? How do you get good at, all of the things that's involved in that process. Very cool. Very cool. What are the, what are the key elements there for community building that you've found so far and how important are kind of great founders or like some key person that brings it all together? Right. So yeah, it's tricky stuff because I, I don't want to, you know, I do think that when people say there's like a great man fallacy in that, you know, we, we do kind of over, estimate the the role that some individual plays in any great endeavor uh there's that but there's also you know i i don't i think when you examine any group context or any just any movement any organization um i i think there are limitations to what people can do in aggregate without like a human shaped um persona kind of functioning as a as a representative so as to speak so i i think people do need do seem to need um like someone to take responsibility even if it's just uh transitory right like even if it's just uh you know you need it, it does seem like when there are people who step up and are sort of like the face of things that makes it easier for other people to coordinate it, it seems challenging to have people coordinate around abstractions like like it, it seems to be like a human limitation so far uh which isn't to say that it's not possible but i think when you you know you kind of investigate anything that's happening there are usually some people who are kind of like holding the torch and right yeah. so there's some kind of shelling point you got to get to have somebody that is seems like it yeah. yeah very very cool very cool ingredients wise what have you found is really important to community? To me, it seems like they have to have kind of, you know, maybe there's some secret that's different from the outside world or like there's, there's something, is is there some main ingredient that that's really important? Is, does there have to be something compelling there? Yeah. So there, there is usually is a story of some kind. I mean, it depends on how you want to frame it, but like there, there has to be some reason, some pull or maybe some push, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's not 
something that well i i can kind of be in two minds about this it, it does happen quite naturally i think i think people do people are social creatures and so they do tend to you know in any exchange people will will in the interactions with each with each other they will find some kind of of common ground in some some way shape or form but um you know there's also like a certain entropy of sorts that you have to push against where you, you know so it's like it's kind of like an order versus chaos sort of thing and if you want to have something going and the interesting thing is i'm finding that there seem to be uh similarities across every scale so even if we don't talk about other people right if we just talk about one person trying to do one thing like you're trying to be a writer you're trying to write a novel for example um you need to manage that project and and you know so so project management is another one of my curiosities and it feels like it's all connected right so how do you manage a project what is a project and i would define a project as something that requires collaboration between so a project is anything that an individual cannot accomplish by themselves in a single sitting right so if if you can do it in a single sitting it's a task you've got you've, right. you've accomplished a task that's great but if you want to do a project even if it's just by yourself you have to collaborate with like your past and future selves like you have to work on so if you have to write some pages today you have to write some more pages tomorrow you do that every day for a few months and then you have to edit it and like all of that and to to be able to collaborate with your future selves in that way you have to have some kind of coherent idea some kind of narrative some some reason for why you're doing it and this also applies to projects that are larger than one person so if you want to do work on something together with somebody else then you have to have, and you may never explicitly articulate these things but like even you know even a marriage right even a family like there's there's some kind of of implicit story in why we are together rather than not and you will invariably encounter kind of um contradictions you'll encounter conflict um forces external forces that kind of nudge you not and it's not necessarily malicious it can just be like random chaotic noise random distractions and stuff right. so the question is like how do you not get distracted how do you not get pulled away from the thing that you're trying to do and that requires investment it requires reorientation focus yeah a lot of ingredients go into it i i, I like that are you married by any chance yeah uh nine years in december Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm curious, do you think, is there something about the commitment me mechanism that uh, changes the way interactions work within the relationship? Oh, is for sure. Something for you found? sure. Yeah. I, you, know, you know, so like my wife and I, we were already dating for many years before that. And so it felt like we were pretty much married already. But, you know, like the day after you get married or maybe a few days later, you realize that, um, you know, so getting divorced is something that is kind of costly like like right. whether it's psychologically uh socially like you have to explain to your friends right it's right. just just more, it's more complicated and messy and so that makes walking away from the relationship more costly and what will be tempting to do like what I, I tell my newlywed friends like the first time you have a fight as a couple as a married couple it will occur to you that you don't actually have to put in a ton of effort to reconcile because you can, in your mind, you'll be like, ah, they're stuck with me anyway. You know, what, right. what, what they, right. And then that's very dangerous. It's like, it's <laughs> like, it, it may seem plausible in the short run, but in the long run, it's not going to work out. So you have to, you have to really put in the effort despite 
that being easier in a sense, right? And and you, you, you do see that, I think, in a lot of, and not just marriages, right? Like in a lot of partnerships or even like old friendships and stuff where people feel like the cost of walking away is very high. And as a result, they might not be happy where they are, but they don't really want to go through the, the discomfort of renegotiating the relationship. And, and so they're kind of just grumpy and miserable in place, which is like the, it's a sad status quo outcome for a lot of people in a lot of contexts. Yeah, it, which is pretty... Yeah, it, that's, a, that's a bad state to be in. And it seems like uh, it's very difficult to get out of because the cost is so high in the short term. Like, yeah, you, I, think, like, I, I think that's the case for, you know, people who are stuck in jobs that they don't like, but like the cost of leaving the job and finding another job and all that seems overwhelming. And so, the, so what they end up doing is they kind of, um, it's like complaining about it. It's like the exhaust valve for, for not really dealing with it. And, you know, there's, there's like this old joke about how uh, there's a support group for everyone who hates their jobs and it's called the bar and we meet every day at <laughs> 6 or 7 p.m. or something. And yeah, you know, it, it's funny, but it's also sad. And it's, it's like, bad, you yeah. know, life is short. We shouldn't be living in, in contexts that we are not happy in. Right, right. Well, what do you, what does one do, right? You know, if you're, if you're stuck in that, like this, this bottom here and, and the, the, I guess the energy required to get over the hump, let's say to leave a job, that's a great, great example. You know, do you just have to be kind of irrational and just kind of push through that? You know, how do, how do you think about that? That's a great question. Um, I, I would say actually, so I'm not um, pro grand risks. So I don't believe in like, <laughs> oh, if, if you don't like, I don't believe like, if you don't like your job, just fucking quit, man. Like, I, I, I don't think away. that's, yeah. that's, that's not responsible. It's not rational. Like your odds of success are not great. Right. So it's almost like you have to, so that it's a, it's a project. You have to start a project of, okay, I'm going to have to figure out where I am. I'm going to have to figure out where I want to be. I'm going to, it's, and, and, uh, you know, I'm writing a book right now called Introspect. And it's, it's like a more general version of all of this. And one of the chapters is called Execute the Jailbreak, which is, you know, so like for a lot of people at, at some point in their lives, they feel trapped in, in yeah. whatever circumstances they're in. And it's like, you know, okay, you're, you're in some kind of psychic prison, sure. And, right. um, you know, there's like social and social elements to it and whatever. And, you know, if you want to break out of jail, you have to plot the jailbreak, right? Okay. Like if, if, if you've watched like Prison Break or one of those movies or like yeah. a heist movie or whatever. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like doing a heist. You have to, you have to like know the, know the layout, you know, you have to be like, okay, when this happens, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, like kind of, so maybe if you want to leave your job, you have to start planning for what, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to have a few months? Do I have savings for a few months to, and so in the meantime, while you're kind of plotting your escape, you do have to tolerate whatever you're going through. Yeah. But it becomes easier to tolerate when you know why you're tolerating it. You right. know that you have a plan and you're going to follow through with it and, and so on. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's like having a plan and, and working toward it and gathering the yeah. resources and, and just being kind of just have a plan. It seems like having plans yeah. pretty important. It can be kind of exciting even. Although I, I think some people, what they do is they, they have the illusion of a plan or they, they come up with a vague sense of a plan and they hold on to that as like an escapist fantasy, but they never uh, go never very far with it. it. So that's, that's also kind of tricky. And for some people, maybe that's an equilibrium that they are okay with. Although I, I feel like, we should, again, we shouldn't be. We should try to be honest with ourselves and figure out what we really want to be doing. Absolutely. I, I want to talk about that, figuring out mm -hmm. what we should really be doing. Uh, there's this great line in Hamlet where Polonius says, be true to oneself. And we're supposed mm -hmm. to be skeptical of this because uh, Polonius is a fool. So <laughs> like, a, what, in the play, at least. And, you know, right. so, so how does one, you know, how, 
yeah how, how does one go about thinking about these things you know it seems just like really difficult yeah i mean well even fools sometimes say the correct things right? think so. <laughs> and yeah and uh i so i so again this is the topic of this is a very central topic to the book that i'm working on and i've actually i spent a really long time on it because i wasn't satisfied with my original set of answers which was very yeah. kind of oh just think about what you like and then just ask a bunch of questions and then like there was a, it was a very cerebral kind of yeah try to put your put your feelings through uh so when i say feelings i'm already kind of uh i'm already spoiling it but uh I, I don't think it's something that can be solved at like a cerebral level i think okay. that uh desires and and what people want i think it's very innate it's it's very it's emotional and i've done a bunch of reading to kind of corroborate this and there's a whole bunch of interesting anecdotes from like his like historical anecdotes from hundreds of years ago so for a couple of examples um so martin luther right the, the, yeah. the reformation guy when he went to the monastery that he that he went to um he was saying something like uh i have he was just feeling really shitty about himself and about life and everything and yeah. he said to his mentor something like I have made Christ the the jailer of my soul and and you know I'm just so I'm such a sinner I'm such a bad person and like you know I I just feel you know horrible and yeah. his mentor and his mentor Johann said um you should that that's not how you should live like you shouldn't be flagellating yourself over what is bad rather you should focus on on the grace of Christ well, so in in their case it's a religious context so he yeah. says the grace focus on the grace of Christ and and that way you will have a change of heart. And that phrasing really stuck with me, change of heart. And I started looking around more for these phrases. Another example, um, J.S. Mill, John Stuart Mill. Yeah. His, he was raised by his dad to be like a, like a hyper intellectual sort of kid. And like his, like his, it's kind of creepy and sad in some ways. Like yeah. uh, his dad was a fan of uh, Bentham. Who's the, guy oh, yeah, who came Bentham. Yeah. the guy who came up with the Panopticon. And so J.S. Mill's dad was like, I'm going to raise you separate from other kids, very isolated, very kind of like training to be a child genius and very much uh, kind of indoctrinated or kind of, I mean, uh, I don't know how you want to frame it, but like he was yeah. very primed to be very utilitarian, which is like very focused on like what is the greatest good and stuff like that. And uh, J.S. Mill, he was journaling his, his autobiography or something. And like, I think in chapter five or something, he says something like, uh, uh, I just feel so um, despondent and and he, he he was writing to himself and he said, if I ask myself in my heart of hearts, if I could instantly have what I want, which is like a very utilitarian universe, yeah. right? Like if I could remake the world instantly to be trying to optimize for utility, would it make my heart happy? And he said, my heart says no. And then he has like a like a depression and whatever. And then he he eventually comes out of it because he, uh, by reading poetry. So he said that he was reading the poetry of uh, Wordsworth, William Wordsworth, and a couple of others. And he said that there was something about the beauty of of what they explored that really spoke to his heart. And like yeah, once you start looking out for this, you see this over and over again. There's the, the, this phrasing of uh, what does the heart want, or like you know my heart cannot. Um, right. And I, I do think that yeah, there there is there is some kind. I don't know if the language is is correct like in a technical sense like maybe it's it's just a different part of the brain i don't know like I'm, I'm not fixated on you know it's necessarily embodied although if you if you want if anybody wants to go into like nerdy shit about this you look up like um solar plexus stuff there's there's something oh, yeah? about like emotions being um in the in and the psoas muscle like when when people are kind of um traumatized and stuff there's a lot of muscular tension in that space and it makes it very difficult to to be expressive 
like physically and and there's like a mind body connection something that's yeah. going on uh but i mean i'm i'm not an expert on these matters i'm i i came at this trying to understand you know why you know i get a lot of guys in my dms guys and girls both i get people in my dms kind of saying oh you know i'm 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 kind of miserable and i don't know yeah. what to do what should i do yeah. and and i used to think that oh you know you got to guide them towards figuring out what they want to do right but what i'm now coming around to thinking is that um people have you know and, and the amazing thing is again you start seeing this in so many stories even in in fairy tales and and uh just you know disney movies and stuff there's this yeah. like, the hero's the hero's journey right it's and so if you follow the hero's journey which is like symbolic of like an emotional journey right it starts out in you are in your village it's a happy place you know the childhood home idyllic the family unit everything's beautiful and then there's there's some event or some something happens that kind of shatters that illusion that bubble of yeah. of joy and pleasure like something like maybe there's like dragons attacking the village or maybe it's you know you, like something some corruption in the village and if you, you have to go away from it to go and and fix it right like moana um frozen they all have these yeah. same themes and there's this idea that um there's always this sense of of like um you know so so the child is directed from the heart they just do whatever they like they just do right. whatever they love whatever's fun and then there's something bad that happens something consequential you know i think uh in anna's case in you know in elsa's case in frozen it's like she has these powers that she doesn't know how to control and so she's like oh no my powers are like damaging to the people around me and so there's this whole conceal don't feel don't let them know right. blah 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 and that is now how i'm choosing to interpret that, interpret that, interpret that is that it's like the tyranny of the authoritarian mind over the body over the feelings over the heart right? right and then the journey that the hero has to go on is you have to learn how to use your powers you have to learn how to feel your feelings and you have to learn how to manage it in a way that is is non-damaging right and so it's like there's this there's a synthesis of like heart and mind and there's usually some like major conflict that they have to go through where they realize that oh the way that i'm trying to protect myself is actually you know like you're trying to build a fortress to protect your heart but it becomes like a prison and then you're miserable and so you have to you have to kind of break free from that prison and you know in a strategic way so it's like a it, and and then you finally you get to get the elixir of life and you get to go back to the village and so this is very nice poetic um story that i think really maps onto people's personal lives and experiences where you know it's like it might be your first heartbreak in a relationship or it might be you know some like you you were really earnest and happy to hang out with your friends and then you said something and it, it offended someone else and then they kind of like ostracized you from the group like there's all kinds of right. people have all kinds of dynamics like that and the challenge of life it seems to me is that you have to you know you, you can't just live from your heart completely in an ignorant fashion because then right. you end up causing yourself and other people hurt but you have to be careful not to kind of overcorrect on that front and i think everyone overcorrects a little bit at some point in their lives right like right. they're just trying to avoid pain and then that becomes a new source of pain and then confronting that authoritarian tyrant self is itself painful and it's like it can be you know some people have like a a dark night of the soul kind of like emotional collapse kind of thing but then when right. you when you rebuild after that then you have this very integrated wholesome thing and i feel like you know again so like <laughs> i went on a bit of a tangent there but this personal journey i think also reflects outwards into people's interactions with other people so like how you relate to other people and what you talk about and what you focus on it's it's all kind of connected if it makes sense gotcha no that that makes a i i really like that explanation 
it, it makes me think a little bit. I I really like this 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 thought of like you know following your heart and like you're feeling and 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 I I I do I I I I don't know how to articulate this well, but I, I really understand that and it makes a lot of sense. Mm. One, of the, one of the questions I have is is you know, and th- this is pretty difficult, but you know where do we get our desires from, and, and and can they be valuable or bad at times, and 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 perhaps that's something where your mind and your heart have to kind of interact and you've got to kind of do the system one system two thinking thing and evaluate that wait can you say that again so you asked where the desires come from and can it be bad it can, it? can your desires sometimes be like i i have you ever read gerard by any chance uh yes mimetic yes yeah, so. it's a medic theory so he has this idea that you know we a lot of times we get our desires from other people we copy other people and that can lead us to conflict with them um so we copy our models. So sometimes, you know, we could have desires that are good, that are like from truly inside us. And there's also desires that we get because, you know, maybe Visa, I love your Twitter. I want to be just like Visa. And then that leads us into yeah. like mimetic conflict or something weird yeah. like that. That's, yeah, that's that's tricky. Um, so in my, so again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm still kind of figuring it out as I go. Yeah. But from my reading and study, um, what I, the sense that I get is, uh, it seems to me that there are some desires that, are really innate all the way through. Right. But it's difficult to know what they are until you go through like this, this uh, gauntlet of, of kind of um, crashing against the desires that you inherit. Right. So like one of the, so I mean like, like very young children, they want to impress their parents and then you get right. a bit older, you're an adolescent, you want to impress your friends and that's normal. It's normal to care about other people, especially since we are, we are social beings and you know, even yeah. the language we use, we didn't, we, we didn't invent the language that we're using right now. We inherited it from other people. We remix it and we try and find our own voice. Uh, Miles Davis has this quote about how, man, it takes a long time to sound like yourself. And I, I think that's true. It's really, you know, you, for, for a lot of us, we are almost always um, speaking other people's thoughts, other people's desires and so on. And yeah, so I think there's this process of, of I mean, for the people who want to seek it, there's a process of like introspection and, and that you have to go through to discern what your more innate desires are yeah there's a bunch of things you can do about that you know you can you can you can talk to your friends you can talk to people that you've known who've known you for a long time there's like you can you could it's like a whole and it's like i I don't think it's a completable project i think it's like a thing that you do your whole life right you just it's like a proprioception right it's like figuring out where you are around other things yeah and uh regarding whether it can be bad i think i think the fundamental simplest kind of layer of desire is very it's almost amoral you know it's almost it's neither good nor bad it just is but whether it becomes good or bad depends on how how you wield it how you express it and uh you know different people have different advice depending on what kind of context they've been in so there are some people who are way too disciplined and way too tightly wound that they need to kind of loosen up and let go and just try more things because they're so narrowly constrained. Whereas some people are like such free spirits that they, you know, they aren't thoughtful enough about what other people are going through and and the things that they do kind of has have consequences for other people. So this is a very socially mediated kind of thing. You know, there's a line in um, the courage to be disliked by a couple of Japanese authors. I can never remember their names, but, but the, it's based on like Adlerian psychology and the idea there, one of the strong ideas there is that all problems are interpersonal problems, meaning, you know, which can seem kind of extreme, but there's, it's like a lens through which to, to 
to make sense of idea of things that are wrong. So like if you think that you know I'm poor, it's because you're you're relating it to people who are not poor. If you think I'm short, I'm I'm skinny, I'm ugly, I'm whatever it is that you think is 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 a problem. Yeah. It's it's always like if you were the only person on the planet, it it wouldn't even occur to you to think in that right. sense. And you can actually investigate. There are, there are, there have been people who have experienced lengthy periods of solitude so like there's this there's some guy who's like sailing out at sea for like yeah a- almost like months and months there was some guy who was like a hermit living in the forest for years at a time and w- what they all report is that when they don't have anyone else to interact with yeah. their concept of self almost withers away or it almost just kind of fades into the background which is that they no longer think about who oh, i am this person i have i want to do this i want to do that like all the, meaning that all of these I thought they are like scripts, scripted roles that we play in in relation to other people. So if we if we just kind of take like a weekend off on our own somewhere, it's not enough time to kind of let the self completely wither away. So we still right. be thinking, oh, I'm on a holiday right now, and when I'm done, I want to go back and you know work on my project, and I want to get a promotion, and I want to meet you know I want to find a girlfriend, whatever. Like those thoughts are still kind of socially mediated. Yeah. But you have to be out at sea for like six months, and then like. You're, you're, it's like a completely alien um, experience and it's it's interesting just to be aware of that and yeah I think there's, there's a humor in it there's a lightness in it like realizing that oh the 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 life that we're living we are playing a role it's a, it's a game all the world's stage and so on and uh, you know you also you see it in like if you watch Lion King like Rafiki that character is this kind yeah. of cheeky trickster energy and he's like oh you've forgotten who you are and, and who are you and it just kind of messes around with that and it, it kind of pointing at the fact that uh, our concepts of self is is kind of fictitious in a way and and I, I do think that can give people if you know that might drive some people a, a bit crazy if it's overwhelming uh, Joseph Campbell has another quote about how the mystic and the the psychotic like a person having a, a breakdown they're both yeah. kind of they're both diving into the same sort of inward sea of deep subconsciousness. But the challenge is that the mystic is skilled. Like he can swim, he can navigate right. the waters. And whereas the psychotic is, is, is drowning and struggling and he can't make sense of what's going on, the schizophrenic experience. And yeah, you know, that's another thing that I think is very uh, exciting, a little bit scary, but like it's very consequential. And, and it's like one of another one of my primary fascinations, like understanding everything right like how, right. how we relate to, to the world god there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff to unpack in there in there mm-hmm. it, it almost seems like we build our self kind of concept against other people yes like you know like our mental model you know you talk about yeah. someone going out to sea and, and being alone and realizing yeah. this kind i mean of and it's and when you think about it it's like how else would we actually right you know it's it's right. uh we, we we and it's always interesting to ask people who are siblings like a you know, um, like just how how their sibling affected their self concept. Like very often, you know, like a cliche with when when there are two sisters, for example, right? It's like somehow the family will be like, oh, this one's the pretty one and this one's the smart one, which is kind of right. kind of cruel, but right. it just happens. And then then they might either lean into those roles or they might react against those roles. But either way, right. it kind of it, it it's a very intimate question to ask because you know it's it's like you know what was. How, just how how was your relationship with your family and your you know how how did people perceive you and if you ask it with a kind of genuine curiosity and sympathetic energy people people love to really kind of open up and and share that because it's it's so personal and yet it's 
it's not up to them, right? It's, it's like how how they were raised in a sense. Right. Man, that that I I had never really thought about that a lot, but that that's 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 a really really cool and interesting. It's wacky, yeah, and, wacky and point. This, this is like a fractal that scales all the way up and all the way down. So like, you know, your ethnicity, your gender, your like all these things, you might not have thought about it. Like, you know, I, I think most guys you talk to casually, they won't be like, oh, I, I've never thought about what it means to be a guy. But right. you have ideas. We have ideas about, oh, guys don't do this kind of thing. Guys do that kind of thing. You know, you're supposed to be this. You're supposed to be that. And yeah, it's just, and same for like people of a certain nationality, people of a certain culture. And it's like, we are each assemblages of all these stories of sorts that we might not think to question. And yeah, it's just, I, I do feel that, you know, I think there's, there's like a quote about uh, Zen. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different quotes about, about Zen and meditation and all those things. And they say things like, you know, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. And after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, which is like, yeah. So it might be before you question your entire reality, you're living right. your life. And then after you question your entire reality, and in that moment, you might be like, oh my God, what's the meaning of anything? What's the point of whatever? But right. then you kind of come back down and then you're like, oh, okay, you know, this is my life and I, I've inhabited it. And you know, as I, this also reminds me of a tweet I think I once saw where someone said, my sister came up to me and said, hey, we've never been formally introduced. Hi, I'm <laughs> And it's it's yeah, it's funny and it's also it's also interesting. Like there's all these ways in which we kind of we are born into the middle of stories and we just never sit down. There's there's no like there are no rituals and ceremonies for for like figuring these things out. And yeah, you know, I think this kind of ties all the way back to the start of like communities and, and stories and all of those things where people do need rituals and ceremonies to to contextualize things. And you know, even even and, and for some people that might sound very abstract, but like I, I will always point out that, you know, a wedding, for example, it's, it's, a, it's the most universally understood ceremony, right? It's like right. There's, two couple, there's a couple, they're coming together, their families are there, there's a, you know, there's a priest or a, a, a whoever is like the community leader, their friends are around, they, 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 they do a bunch of stuff, they might light candles or they might, you know, put a ring and then they, they say some words and it's a vows. And what happens is that it's, it's a collective um, kind of so it's a ceremony and, and what's, what's the point of a ceremony right it's to kind of imbue a moment with meaning right and right. and so if if it's a very stable and familiar ceremony nobody's even thinking about that but like yeah so a wedding ring we understand it as is a talisman right actually and and we recognize it as it's a symbol of a couple's bond and and you know you might it's understandable why people have emotional attachments to that, even though it's just an object. Yeah. And, and then the, the cool thing is extrapolating from that and realizing that you can at any point in time decide to introduce some kind of ceremony for yourself or for your friends. And, and you can, you can like invent meaning sort of, and it's not completely arbitrary. It's like there's some amount of cost, some amount of uh, effort, like, like what right. you put into it is what you get out of it. But just, like a lot of people, it doesn't occur to a lot of people that you can make your life more meaningful by like authoring your own ceremonies, which is a very powerful thing to know how to do. Yeah. That's, I, I love that. I love that. And, and that leads me to my next question. You know, what kind of role do you think God or, or religion has in, in meaning creation? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, you know, so when I, I grew up in Singapore, which is a very diverse and and space, right? So it's a yeah. it's along a, a maritime trade route. So there's a lot of different kinds of people. So there's Hindus, yeah. Christians, Muslims, 
And when I was a child, I remember I used to go to the library a lot and I was fascinated by Egyptian mythology, Roman mythology, and all these things. And so, you know, I wouldn't say I was ever, so my parents were moderately religious. I wouldn't say they're like devout, but like they're practicing. So they're practicing Hindu. And so they would bring me to the temple and it's like, uh, you know, Deepavali is like our our annual ceremony uh, festival of lights. And, you know, I've had friends who are like Christian, Buddhist, all of those things. And for me, I I never really took it very seriously. Like I I could tell that it was meaningful and important to other people. But right. to me, it just all seemed like, oh, it's just, you know, it's kind of like play pretend. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way, you know, because right. like when you're a child, when you're a child, you like you, you have your own games and those games mean a lot to you, even though it's yeah. imaginary. And yeah, I I was kind, I guess initially I just didn't feel strongly for it. And I think when I was a teenager, I discovered some writings about atheism. And at that time I was like, oh, you know, that's, that seems correct to me. And so I I, I spent some time being kind of atheist-ish. I mean, yeah, I labeled myself that for a while, but I wasn't like dismissive or or like, well, well, I, a little bit, maybe (laughs) I had, I had a phase, I had a phase where I was kind of dismissive of religious people. Uh, but I didn't like it. I didn't like that. I didn't like what happened when I had conversations with people. So like, I started a band with a friend when I was like 17 and he was, I was very, I was, I was kind of atheist and he was very religious, but we both kind of had shared values about a lot of things. We both are like, our community is very important. You know, like we both love the local music scene. We should try to be good people. Like we had all these things in common and we would have these really long conversations when we take the train from where we live to where our jamming studio was. And I really enjoyed those conversations and it made me think that I would rather have good conversations with people about all of these things. Like what's a meaningful life? How do we be good to each other? I would rather have those conversations than shut myself off from being able to have those conversations by being like, I'm atheist, you're religious, so you're an idiot. And you know, like, then we can't have an interesting conversation. And so I, I've since kind of uh, moved to being more... Um, kind of agnostic i guess i would say it's like a so now when when people want to talk about religion i'm like i'm not sure which is the truth like i'm 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 not sure i don't know like like t- tell me your story like what's your what's your experience with these things and and i find that the conversations are more interesting that way and i think that uh you know there's this great blog post on ribbon farm uh i think by sarah perry i'm not sure entirely sure but it's like it's called the essence of peopling and it describes how um And this ties back to like the great man question at the start. It ties back to like how, um, you know, it's like people. So first of all, when you have two people talking to each other, we each have a model of each other in our minds. So I model you, you model me. And then inside my model of you is my model of what I, is what I think you think about me, which is, which is definitely not correct. Right. Like, so we each then like, we think about each other and then we think about what the other person thinks of us. And then it, it kind of, it, like our interactions are shaped by that. And unless we explicitly, well, you could do it implicitly, but like, you know, like unless you have a conversation about, about your respective models, you will end up kind of misunderstanding each other and, and it'll be awkward, con- like right. messy conflict happens there. And then you take that two person kind of my model of you, your model of me thing. And then you, you kind of turn it around and you frame it for bigger and bigger ideas. So like a community's idea of the community leader or like, you know, the, all the children's model of dad or, you know, like all the employees model of the boss and the boss's model of employees and so on. And like that, that 
what Sarah's pointed out was that like uh you know so then your model of let's say like a very important public figure like the the president right is is right. intermediated by the media and so the, and and by whatever else and so you you do you you approximate what you think about the president based on like what information you receive about him it's not like you're interacting with him directly and then from there she goes on to point out that uh the mind of god is kind of that intermediated by the priest class and and all of those things and it was just i mean i, I bring that i don't know why i brought that up it's just just interesting to reflect on in that um even if a person doesn't materially exist in they can still have an effect on everybody else and I, I, okay here's, so here's an interesting example right take take like a steve jobs right he's he's yeah. passed away like a more than 10 years ago but like in a sense the 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 spirit of steve jobs is still at apple in the sense of what are all the people at apple imagining that their founder would want and it's even if it's also the current ceo is tim cook let's say and tim cook would also have an idea of what would steve want like so everyone's like what would steve and so in that sense the 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 imagining of steve jobs and this is this could be entirely different than what steve intended you you, you know but it's it's this this kind of egregore this kind of mental image of steve is still animating the company in some in some sense in a very real sense even though the guy is no longer around and not to imply that Steve Jobs is God, but like that's that's kind of I, that's how I imagine. I think you use and you use that metaphor, and then you think about like how a, a village might run, and there's like a village founder, and then you, you expand that into like a city. You know, Athens had Athena, who was like the the city of the, the goddess of the city, and then you just kind of go bigger and bigger, and eventually you get to Abrahamic religions and the idea of like an infinite one true God, omniscient, omnipotent, and yeah, it's it's like I I, I can't. I, I don't really have an opinion like a like a fixed opinion on whether or not there's some cosmic being but i know that people a lot of people have that kind of idea in their mind and you know we know that historically it's been like that so like 500 years ago or so if you go to like western civilization in europe for example it's like everyone basically believed in god right like before before the plagues and the reformations and all those things like there was a time where everyone believed in god and that would have informed all of society, right? It informed like this is churches, there's a concept of authority, there's concepts of law. It used to be that people didn't do crimes because they were afraid of, of um, retribution from, from divine retribution, right? And then, and I mean, it's, it's more complex than that, but I'm, I'm skimming. And um, so eventually when, you know, when Nietzsche wrote um, God is dead, he, people always only quote that phrase but if you read the whole thing he says god is dead we have killed him and like what what uh how what are we going to do about it like how how do we replace the the void of of what we have dethroned right like how are we going to live up to we have to become gods now we have to be we have to step into that role that we have we have kind of eliminated i'm not doing that justice but uh there's just the sense that it seems to me that um for some reason, I don't know how far back you have to go. It's a human impulse to imagine the unknown, imagine, you know, and it's like we are cursed with, with the knowledge of our own mortality, right? Like, so I, I don't think that uh, monkeys go around worrying that they're going to die one day. And I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what they think. Um, we don't know that elephants and stuff have like graves, so they might, I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, but like, we know that humans care about, you know, what happens after we die, um, where do we come from? Why are we here? What's the point? And so whether or not there is a genuine, definite answer to all of that, 
um, there is this impulse to kind of look upwards and be like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> like, and it might be, you know, it might be, you know, when you're a child, your parent is taller than you and you kind of look up to your dad, like mom, dad, what's going on. And then you just kind of, ex- it just seems to generalize from there that there must be. And so, you know, that your, your parents, you look up to your parents, maybe your parents look up to like the village chief or whatever. And like, who does the village chief look up to? Like there's just that, that, that kind of like a summation kind of thing, like a abstraction or whatever. And I'm going in very wide detours, but like uh, I was recently what so Singapore every year we have this National Day parade, and it's you know I I I used to be kind of ah it's so tacky it's so right, cringe right. It's like all this ceremony and there's like one guy in the the prime minister shows up in in the, like a motorcade and I'm like why do we need a motorcade with the pre- with the prime minister in it like it's so whatever and now I've now that when I watch it you know what I I see now is that. That's a person who is choosing to inhabit the role for everyone else. And it's like the motorcade is not for him personally, but it's for the office, right? It's for, right. for the representative who is, you know, so he's not literally wearing a crown, but like, you know, I have a crown in my, in my profile picture on Twitter, which is like meant to be a reminder about um, autonomy and, and responsibility and sovereignty. And anyway, so if, if you imagine that the prime minister is wearing a crown, right? The crown is not, for him per se is that right. he's the guy in the moment who is kind of wearing carrying the responsibility of everyone else's well-being and everyone else's um everything right and so people and i i've come to see that to some degree at our present level of consciousness as a species this seems necessary to some degree and i i feel like uh you know maybe conceptually something like a god should exist to to i mean like so in in older times they say things like um the the king must be god fearing so that people know that he is not uh you know he not a tyrant like like the king must be afraid of someone else and i think machiavelli might have said something like that i'm not sure but it's it's just you you must be seen to to be answerable to something bigger and greater than yourself and i think that if I were in such a position and like, like how I would rationalize it is that you don't necessarily need to imagine that there's a literal person that you're, you're kind of like bowing to, but it's like this personified manifestation of the ideals of the entire community. Right. So it's like, like Athena as, so Athena is a, is a personified representation of the ideals of Athens. Right. And when I frame it that way, I find that I can sort of interface with that idea in a way that doesn't make me feel like I'm some fraud and doesn't make me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm pretending that there's a God when I don't really think there is one. It's more of like, okay, like I'm going to do these ceremonies and do all these things because I respect the community and the community seems to have that impulse. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there may be a more elegant way of saying all of the nonsense that I just said, but I, I think you get the idea. It's like there's, yeah. there's a certain elegance underlying that. That was really well put. That's really well put, and I think that's that. That's a it's an underrated aspect of of what I think religion is for for most communities. Um, mm-hmm. Planning and it can go bad. Yeah. I, I will say that that it can. So it's like um you know what I describe as the shaman's work. You know uh here's here's a really short quick story that I saw on Reddit that was really beautiful. Like somebody was saying um you know I'm I'm a parent and my child just found out that there's no Santa and they think that I've lied to them. What do I do? <laughs> And somebody else said, and this is beautiful, they said, Santa is not, there isn't a guy named Santa, right? But Santa is an idea. Santa is, and and the the secret is, 
you now get to join us and you get to be Santa with us. And, and there is a, a global network of people who choose to make young children's lives better by giving them gifts and giving them a beautiful story to, to in, enjoy. And now, and now you, my child, uh, have graduated from being one of those to receive Santa's gifts to being one of those who gets to give others the pleasure of enjoying Santa, right? And I, I just think that's, that's such a, it's so much superior to, oh, Santa doesn't exist, you sucker, you know, like, you know, it's, you get to author meaning for other people, you get to make them feel like they're participating in something meaningful. And similarly, like, uh, I feel like a lot of people, when they inherit religion, they don't necessarily think about what I've said earlier, which is like the ideals of the city, ideals of the community, blah, blah, blah. What's, they might just think, oh, you know, I'm born in, I'm born in this context and this is my thing. And like, you know, I worship this. People who don't worship that are bad. And like, there's this, all of those kind of simplistic ideals. And so it's like, there needs to be this ongoing effort from meaning workers, shamans, right? I, I call them shamans, but you can just call them meaning workers or you know, what a good priest should be or a good pastor or a good community leader is that they kind of transmute the, the ugliness of reality and not, not deny it, but contextualize it in a way that is meaningful for other people. And it's very, very meaningful work that you can do for people. It's like people feel like, oh, my life is so meaningless or it's so whatever. And then you can tell, you can help them craft the story. And it's not, a, it's not fake. You're not, you're not making up stuff that's not true, but you're like, contextualizing it in a way that makes people feel oh okay my life is meaningful i'm helping other people and blah 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 yeah i think that's uh I, i've never like quite thought about it that way but i, I really like that i really like that that's nice good. i've got it, this is kind of a left-hand turn um but mm -hmm. I, i'm okay. curious about it uh planning you know how much how mm -hmm. should we think about planning how important is it is planning in one's life and uh yeah how do you just how do you conceptualize that right so um to lay my own personal biases out on the table first uh i'm not very good at planning in a in a meticulous minute by minute sort of way like i, I can't stand schedules and calendars and part yeah. of that is like childhood shit from school like i hated going to school and having timetables and stuff but i've also always um wanted to to do great things in some sense like just be, be like just witness cool shit yeah and like uh you know it goes back to projects right like uh you you don't you don't get to dick around and randomly build a cathedral or randomly right. build a rocket ship like those really cool things require concerted effort in a in a specific way and so how i think about planning is that for the most part um i think sitting down to make a plan is a, is a great use of any person's time but you should i believe that you shouldn't necessarily be completely constrained by any plan that you made at any one point in time so like the advice i once gave a friend was take a day every month right like once a month sit down and be like like just kind of imagine how would you like to spend the next year of your life what are some accomplishments that you would like you know what are some things you want to see things you want to do and then maybe you know think of, if, if you can think about like five years out ten years out like just kind of fantasize like what, what would be nice and then you, you, you write that down in some amount of detail and then you disregard it entirely and you just ignore it and just do whatever you think is interesting. Because what happens is once you set or once you spend some time to think about it out loud, um, it will kind of permeate in your subconscious. And then along and then if along the way there's like interesting opportunities and stuff, like you can feel free to just so it might be like you make a plan to I'm going to be writing every day. I'm going to every day for the next month. Yeah. And then like maybe like two weeks in, there's one day where like your friend's like, hey, you want to go to this cool party? And you're like, 
cool. Like, uh, you know, I'll abandon today because I, that sounds like an interesting opportunity, especially if, you know, that suggestion might have something to do with something else that you have in mind. But even if it doesn't, some amount of randomness is, is healthy because you get to open yourself up to new opportunities that you hadn't considered before. But um, I do think it's worthwhile to, so I, I think uh, maybe Eisenhower, there's some guy who said something like, uh, plans are priceless and pl- planning is priceless and plans are worthless, right? Because there's all these quotes like, uh, Muhammad Ali has a quote that's like, uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? right? And it's, it's not bad to have the plan, you know? It just It's just that when the plan doesn't, work like you should be comfortable discarding it and just kind of trust that the point of planning is like it's like it's just to sketch out a a a rough idea of how things might be but the moment things deviate from that like you should be open to surprise and open to opportunity and and be willing to to renegotiate and reorient and then you can make another plan at the end of the next month and then then, so for me i like like my personal planning um cadence is something like it's not even monthly. It's almost like quarterly, like every every three to six months or so. So like my birthday is in June. So every every June I do one big one, and then at the end of the year I always do another big one. And I, I don't remember all the specifics. Like I can go and check my notes. And sometimes yeah. like years later I'll go back and look at my notes. And, and the amazing thing is there are things that I I made kind of projections about or fantasized about and just had like it's just it's it's very vague. It's just you know sorry it's not vague. It's very it's hand wavy but it's quite precise. So I found like. In 2016, I had written something like, I would like to, it makes sense for me to write and publish an ebook someday. And then I forgot about it almost entirely. But like it, cool. it ended up happening later on. And I've, I've, checked, I've talked with a few friends and they all say the same thing, which is like, if you journal about what you would like, what you would want, what you think would be good, and then you forget about it consciously, it still kind of lingers in your subconscious somehow. So it's, right. like, it's like you have this, this, this little magic assistant in your, in your subconscious helping you out. And it's still driving things. That, that's mm-hmm. great practice. That's great practice. What's the Baghdad House of Wisdom and why is it important? That House of Wisdom. So that, uh, you know, I mean, so people usually say the, the Library of Alexandria, which is kind of the same thing. You know, it's just yeah. there was some period in time where a bunch of people managed to coordinate to do a lot of learning in a short, in a relatively short amount of time. So this was happened in, in Baghdad during the age of Al-Mamun. And he was a sultan, I guess. And he... It just seems so I'm I'm still investigating, but it seems like he just he was someone who valued learning a lot, and so he kind of made it fashionable amongst the aristocracy in Baghdad at the time. It's just like the 800s teams, and so like during that time, there were like great mathematicians and and doctor and like medical doctors, and they made advances in astronomy, in in uh, in medicine, in math. They invented algebra algorithms come from there you know it's like all there was just this, this period of great flourishing in a short amount of time and i think eventually they got overrun by like the mongols maybe I, my, my history is a bit messy but like um just this idea that a relatively small-ish group of people can come together and accomplish a great deal that then echoes throughout the rest of history for me that's something that's very very exciting and it's like if, if so if you look at human history the impulse is to think oh you know if you go back to the stone age, we didn't really have anything. And now we have a lot of great, cool stuff. And you kind of think, oh, it must have been slow and steady progress throughout. But like, no, like if you zoom right. in, it's like all of progress. It's like, there's like no progress for a long time. And then there's like big, huge leaps. 
And then it's like, you know, during like the golden age in the Gupta period of India, they invented zero, you know? Right. And like, like, yeah, you can look around like the Renaissance, maybe like, I mean, so some people argue and debate about like how good was the Renaissance for ordinary people, for example. And that's, that's fair. Like it was mostly like a bunch of rich people kind of doing, but you know, like there have been periods of time where rich people were just kind of being degenerate (laughs) to to be missive. And they're just kind of spending money and, you know, like a, if you look at you know how oil money in Saudi is spent these right. days, like it's eh, it's kind of tacky. I mean, that's my value judgment. I, I, <laughs> I don't I don't want to you know kind of piss anybody off that way. But like, it's just can we inspire people to use their resources and time and energy to kind of try and coordinate grand projects and and not I mean not necessarily like grand architecture, although that's also cool. But like just you know art and science and and progress and and if if we do it really really well if we do it really really right like that echoes for the rest of human history and i think that's that's a the most exciting thing we can do with our time like on on this earth it's like so i i have this so the narrative that i have for myself which is kind of like my personal religion you could say right is that you know, I think that there's something you could describe as, as the light of human consciousness. And I feel like, you know, Archimedes had it, you know, Al-Khwarizmi had it, like there's, there's this Chinese, ancient Chinese folks had it, ancient Japanese folks. Like it's, it's not any one ethnicity, it's not any one religion, it's just people who cared about just human flourishing. And they've, they've passed the torch around, you know, so like, uh, so during the Baghdad Golden Age, they were translating aristotle and you know aristotle wasn't really appreciated by i think like medieval christians because it's his worldview was kind of not very compatible with christianity at the time then but like so, so it's like in my mind it's like wow if you visualize it it's like there was a light that blossomed in athens and then they passed the torch down to baghdad and then they passed the torch back and it's just it's like wow it's like everything that we have is you know like optics right when newton figured out optics it's, it, it all kind of ties back and it's it really creates the sense of of continuity, I think, which a lot of people feel they don't have in modern life. And it's just it's just it's a matter of the story that you tell yourself, right? You can you can read history and realize that oh shit, like there's this long unbroken chain, or maybe it broke in some places and we don't know. That's a tragedy, right? Like we don't know what was in the library of this and that, and we don't know what authors and stuff were great and then we never heard from again. But regardless, you can trace back the light of human consciousness torch to torch it's like really like the olympic <laughs> yeah torch passing and it goes all the way back to like the dawn of of storytelling like epic of Gil- gilgamesh four thousand years ago and i find that exciting i find it like you know to choose to kind of affiliate ourselves with that kind of non-denominational just non-denominational people who give a shit about the flourishing of humanity and it's like so i like the the kind of cool phrase i use for myself is like people who are the keepers of the light of human consciousness right it's like it's like almost like a secret guild like if you've watched if you've played uh, assassin's creed i think they have this idea of like this this templar i mean there's just there's a whole bunch of different uh you know conspiracy theories and and and, and i think the reason that conspiracy theories are so sticky about like you know like uh, the illuminati are ruling the world and whatever like it's it's almost exciting <laughs> it's kind of exciting and compelling to even if you're believing it in a negative way like these bad guys who want to exploit the world or whatever it's exciting to believe that there's that kind of continuity and i don't i don't think those things are uh, i mean there may be some some elements of proof to it but it's definitely kind of a made to be stylized and kind of dra- dra- dramatized to be to be exciting and compelling but you know we can we can dramatize history for our own uses if it motivates us to do what we love right and that's kind of my approach to it and yeah i just feel like uh 
you can look around in the world today and there are a lot of people who are smart, thoughtful and so on, but they feel kind of disenfranchised. They feel like, uh, what's the point? What's the point of being smart? What's the point of like, everything's just going to go to waste anyway. The climate's going to be horrible. Like, it's just like, yeah, you, that, I, I don't mean to deny any of those things, but wouldn't it be nice if, so even if we have to go out, like let's go out in like this, this blaze of glory exactly. that is really, we try our absolute best. And, and you know, the point the, the, I, I, in my own sort of moral um, evaluation of my own life, like why, why do I try to be a good person instead of just fucking trying to exploit everyone? Yeah. And like the, the, how I frame that for myself is that it's really about the company, like the people that you hang out with. So, you know, we're here for like 80 years, maybe 100, 110 if we're lucky. And like, who do you want to spend your life with? You know, who do you want at your 90th birthday party and yep. they, they've known you for 50 years and they really appreciate you and you appreciate them and you just feel like it has been a good journey together, right? Like, if you think about, like, some of your favorite movies, some of your favorite TV shows that go on, like, seven, eight seasons and you you invest, you know, you, you watch, like, even a game, like, video there's some video games, like, you know, Final Fantasy 7 or 6 or whatever, like, you play yeah. those games and it's like, you invest, like, 80 hours in it and you feel that at the end of it, like, wow, it feels, it's an honor to have served with you, my fellow, right. you know, even if you're going to lose, right? It's like, that. these are these are my brothers in arms that I fought alongside and I will die for them. And I think these feelings and values, I, I think they are pretty universal. Like, we, it really resonates with us because it's what we want out of life. We want to feel like we matter to people that matter to us. And, yeah, so I think that we can make an effort to, to, to kind of... Um, light our own beacons in our own hearts and in our own work and and kind of put out feelers that welcome other people who share the same sort of ideals and you know i don't want to be like pushy about it you know there's, there's all these ways that things can go wrong you can be kind of you can promise too much and then you can kind of be culty like people thinking that you're going to save the world and stuff so like i try not i try not to i, I try to be ambitious but not promise like over promise things to people who might be so some people are really really down bad like really bad and yeah and when they hear something that sounds like a magic solution to all their problems they like they rush into it and then they get kind of culty and it gets weird and bad so i, I want to avoid that but like amongst like sensible thoughtful people i think people most of the people i talk to they tend to veer on the side of being a little bit too critical of themselves a little bit too cynical about about just how the world's going to turn out and just kind of it's kind of sad kind of grump like and like the media environment is optimized to incentivize that right so it's like whatever people think is neutral like how you like most people you kind of if you don't do a lot of self-authorship and you don't do a lot of like careful curation of your of your narratives then it's very natural to just kind of by osmosis absorb what's the default media stuff and you might not even think oh i'm gonna listen to the media and death it's just like in, in the background noise like oh some terrible shit happened there or oh, there's like some political fight there right. and you just the 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 background noise of of your life your your conscious just feels like ah shit doesn't sound that great and then you're like eh, well what am i doing i just get a job and just make some money and just try to have a bit of fun go on a holiday here and there and just yeah. ah, you know. whereas like if you could have a narrative that's like, all right, you know, I'm I'm not gonna be able to save the entire world. Like it's not my job anyway. Like I'm just gonna do my best. I'm gonna find all the cool people on the planet. I'm gonna make friends with them. I'm gonna encourage them to do whatever they think is exciting. And then we're gonna encourage each other. And like some of us might end up doing something amazing. A lot of us might just kind of just have a good life, but it's like, yeah. you know, in in concert with other people. Like, like I just feel like that whole like there, there was a fork in the road somewhere there earlier in what I described. And like I think this fork was just better it's like more fun it's more interesting definitely exciting yeah i i, I love that and I, I think it's a great call to action to you know and try and do things that are they're important and find the cool people and, and help them just within yeah. all of our own lives well well visa 
thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Where can people find your work? Where should we send them? Cheers, man. Um, you can just like just Google me, I guess. And uh, I so I post on Twitter a lot. I'm always tweeting every day. I also have a YouTube channel. I have my own website. So if you just type in V I S A K A N V into Google, you'll see. You can just pick and choose. Like so, choose your own adventure, whatever is your preferred media choice. So I, if you like listening to podcasts, I do have a list of podcast episodes I've been on on my personal website. So you can do that. You can just search Visa V podcasts. You'll get the result. Yeah. That's great. I'll put up a link in the show notes. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives.